Hello and welcome everyone to a new episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm your host, Aaron White, and today I have three new film reviews to share with you. Here in FF Plus, the format is always very straightforward. I'm going to talk about what I liked and what I didn't. I'm going to keep it simple, short, and spoiler-free. First up on today's docket is The Survivor from HBO. It stars Ben Foster, Vicky Creeps, Billy Magnuson, Peter Sarsgaard, John Leguizamo, and Danny DeVito. It is directed by Barry Levinson and written by Justine Joel Gilmer. What's it about? Post-World War II, Harry Haft is a boxer who fought fellow prisoners in the concentration camps to survive. Haunted by memories and guilt, he attempts to use high-profile fights against boxing legends like Rocky Marciano as a way to find his first love again. Now, the first thing that comes to mind when you start watching this movie is the physical appearance of Ben Foster. He lost about 60 pounds for this movie, and he says that that was necessary for him to understand the character. Makes sense, the situation that his character was in during the past when he was in Auschwitz. He was very malnourished, etc. After shooting these scenes, Foster has said that he did safely regain the weight over a period of months, so there's nothing to be too worried about from him there. But he really does embody the character. It's a lot like the way that Christian Bale looked in The Machinist. Maybe not quite to that level, but it is almost disturbing to see him this thin and just completely devoid of nutrition. It is a committed performance by him, a very, very good one. Many are calling it his best of career. I don't know for sure if I would go there yet. I'm a big fan of his, and I think that he pretty much always does outstanding work. It's also hard to compare other performances where maybe he's a co-lead or a supporting character with this one where he really is the man. It is his show. It's probably more akin to something like a Leave No Trace, but but even then he's dealing with a child co-star in that film, whereas this one is, it's really the Foster movie. Yes, Vicky Creeps is in it. Billy Magnuson is only in it during flashbacks because he plays a Nazi captain that the character interacted with when he was in the concentration camps. But if you're going to come and see this, the performance is going to be the biggest selling point, in my opinion. In addition to that, we have the some really good cinematography. I would say it's shot pretty beautifully. It alternates back and forth between the present day and a black and white version of Half's memories from when he was in Auschwitz. And I thought that it looked really, really good. And I like the fact that the film is taking an approach that is not glorifying the boxing. You might think that when you see a boxer on the poster art or you read the synopsis about, hey, this is about a boxer who fought fellow prisoners and you know gained fame, but this is all about that guilt. He was essentially under a gladiatorial type of situation where he was being forced to hurt and or kill his fellow 
Jews that were in the camps with him in order to secure his own safety and his own survival. And so that leaves scars on people, understandably, and that's what this movie is about. It's about the pain that he carries with him and how he's dealing with it. The boxing is very brutal when it is shown, but it is simply a requirement for his survival. It is not about him doing this thing because he enjoys hurting other people or enjoys it even for the sport of it. That's not the angle here. And it's heavily a drama. I would kind of start leaning that into maybe a little bit of the cons here is that the movie is way over long, in my opinion, and drags, especially once it hits its third act. It just feels like it keeps going and going and going. And the movie could wrap up at any time. We've learned so much. He's changed. Things have happened, but like it just keeps going. And by the end of it, I was darn near wanting to just completely turn it off and be checked out because I was done with my time in this world with these characters. Didn't feel like I needed anything else from it. There's nothing here that's unexpected. It's a whole lot of cliches that you would imagine. It's an emotionally powerful story, a real-world tale about this person, and so it's going to evoke feelings in you. That's what it wants to do. It does it well, but not anything special, in my opinion. I thought that the alternating between present day and concentration camps in the past was executed in a very uneven fashion. It feels very disjointed to me. Sometimes those scenes are out of order, which can be kind of confusing if you jump to one point in his past via memory and then and a character maybe is alive, you jump to another point in his past before that, sorry, and it, and he was dead. And so it can be a little bit out of place. The film also never feels like it hits a pacing flow to it. It can drop into this extremely heavy dark drama and then it kind of like ramps up a little bit in its energy and then it throws us into this incredibly horrific and unflinchingly brutal depiction of the concentration camps with blood and major violence so it didn't work for me as a holistic project in my opinion I, i'm not saying it's bad but i think that the performance is better than the whole that it is within. And that's a little bit of a bummer, to be honest. So I would say that when this comes streaming on HBO on April 27th, that it is only worth a watch for those who really like to lock into a great performance, even if the story is not told the best around them. If you are a huge Ben Foster fan. This is something you want to check out. If you really, really love wallowing in the awful atrocities of Auschwitz and its effect on humans and you like to revisit that, then this is a movie for you. I think for most people, this is an easy skip and you're not going to be missing out on anything. It's not going to teach you anything about concentration camps or Auschwitz that you didn't already know. So maybe don't put yourself through that, in my opinion. Next up, we have Memory from Open Road Films and Briarcliff Entertainment. It stars Liam Neeson, Guy Pearce, 
Monica Bellucci, Harold Torres, Taj Atwal, and Ray Fearon. It is directed by Martin Campbell, written by Dario Scardapane, and it is based on the novel Desac Alzheimer's by Jeff Geertz and is a remake of the novel's previous adaptation, the Belgian film The Alzheimer's Case. What's it about? When Alex, an expert assassin, refuses to complete a job for a dangerous criminal organization, he becomes a target. FBI agents and Mexican intelligence are brought in to investigate the trail of bodies, leading them closer to Alex. With the crime syndicate and FBI in hot pursuit, Alex has the skills to stay ahead except for one thing. He is struggling with severe memory loss, affecting his every move. Alex must question his every action and whom he can ultimately trust. Oh boy. Well, if this was 2005, 2006, I would have been a lot more excited about a Martin Campbell, Liam Neeson, and Guy Pearce team up. But as it is, it's 2022, and none of these have put out anything mind-blowing in the recent years. And so I was reluctant to even watch this. The trailer for it is about as generic as it gets. The poster art is generic. The tagline for the movie is ridiculous. And essentially, it is Liam Neeson playing a character that he's played before, but this time with memory loss. There's a strong Taken vibe here because it's dealing with a cartel and a child sex trafficking exploitation ring. And it also is kind of got a memento vibe to it. He writes things down on his arm in order to remember them. But this is an older man who is clearly not an action star at this point in his life, trying to sell us on an aging assassin who wants to get out of the game. But of course, as any cliched story is, they, quote, they, the universal people who employ him, aren't going to just let him quit being an assassin. That's not how it works. You can't just stop, as John Wick has shown us and countless others. I think that the ambition here was to kind of ground this. It's not got a ton of huge gunfights. There are moments, uh, outbursts of violence, but they're handled in a way that feels more realistic, in a way that I think it's not a blockbuster. It's trying to sell you on the belief that this could actually take place in a small town on the Mexico-Texas border with these various organizations trying to figure things out. This is how it could work. And, you know, I, I believe it. Neeson walks around. He has his moments delivering some dialogue and popping off silenced pistol shots, assassination style, but it in no way is enough to warrant two freaking hours of content, in my opinion. The movie does try to touch on the fact that the justice system is flawed and that stopping things like trafficking may only work if people are just killed off. There's definitely commentary there to be had. You can take it for what you want. I don't think it's got any great strong message to it, but I kind of did like how the film ends up wrapping up. It's almost nihilistic. You could kind of think this might be written by Cormac McCarthy if it was of a higher quality. Honestly, though, there's just so much wrong with this. It's boring to a fault. Guy Pierce, as an FBI agent, I don't like his character in this. I don't feel like him with a Texas accent is something that works well for me. Every other supporting character gets zero character development. They're just there to take up space. The movie has bursts of energy, 
where a score will come on in the background and start kind of ramping up the intensity, and then it will immediately end and all the propulsion will stop. And it will quick cut right back into this incredible drama mode. And it has so many seriously anticlimactic moments that I was just like, are you kidding me? The other big issue for me is that the movie is built around Liam Neeson's assassin character, and it essentially is portraying him as sort of a hero who is gaining a conscience and kind of wants to do some things the right way. But there are things he does in this movie that are very much like an assassin and killing innocent people. And I just can't get past that. I can't root for a guy who's doing one thing correctly, but murdering people for doing nothing wrong that are in his way so that he can get away with (laughs) being a criminal who's trying to right some wrongs. It just doesn't work for me as a whole from a story created perspective. And so, and the whole memory loss aspect of this, I lost my grandfather to Alzheimer's. I've been through that. And the way it's handled here is just a complete and utter disservice to the pain of that disease because that disease's pain is as much a problem for those that are loved ones as it is the person themselves. And that's really why it's such a horrible, horrible thing. And we don't really get to experience that. It's just him. He's a loner. And they don't do anything really interesting at all with his memory loss, in my opinion. So this movie will be in theaters on April 29th. There is no way in heck I would ever recommend you spend money to see this. I think it is at its best a free streaming thing to turn on on the weekend and see if you like it so you can just turn it off. I would never recommend you pay for a theater viewing and I I wouldn't recommend you pay to rent it either. I think Neeson needs to stop doing this kind of movie. He's past his prime. Let's move on. And I don't know what's up with Martin Campbell, but it's hard to believe that this is the guy that made Casino Royale. I He just does not have the it factor for me personally. So that's where I'm at with him, and I would pass on this completely. Last, but certainly not least, as it is the best of this bunch, in my opinion, is Marvelous in the Black Hole from Film Rise. It stars Maya Cech, Rhea Perlman, and Leonardo Nam. It is directed by Kate Sang and written by Kate Sang. What's it about? A rebellious 13-year-old who is dealing with the loss of her mother embarks on an adventure with a children's party magician. So there's not a lot of specifics to dive into when it comes to this film. The main character, her name is Sammy. She's a young teen. She's rebellious. She's into self-harm at the moment. She smokes. She's into vandalism. She just generally is stirring trouble. She doesn't like dad's new girlfriend. She's further amplified in her difficulty of dealing with the grief that she's experiencing because she has an older sister who seems to be dealing with it just fine, makes her kind of the odd one out. As a coming-of-age film, it really does lean into that complicated challenge of young teens trying to process and communicate the strong emotions that they feel and they don't know how to deal with. And I think that 
it handles that very well and it displays it in a way that is extremely realistic in how Sammy reacts to the world around her and just can't seem to get outside of her own head. And speaking of being inside her own head, the movie uses a surrealistic kind of art style and cinematic storytelling to shift us into this other world where we experience her imagination in sometimes the worst case scenario way, but it's often very exaggerated. And I loved it. I thought it was really creative way to tell the story. A lot of what happens in these imaginative sequences is super fun and I like them a lot and they influence what is going to come further in the film's climax quite a bit and tie into Sammy's feelings about the loss of her mother and her relationship that she had had with her mom. The crux of the film is that Sammy ends up meeting this person named Margot, who is a magician. She had been attending a summer school class because she's a delinquent and her dad needed something for her to do, doesn't know how to handle it. And the two of these two characters, they end up striking up an unlikely friendship. And it is two people at two completely different times in their lives, but they come together and they discover that they have a shared grief. And it's really sweet. Margot, played by Rhea Perlman, helps Sammy cope and deal with the frustration, the pain, the sadness that they're both going through and find an outlet in magic. And she kind of serves as the surrogate friend and parent, doing things like being patient, listening, caring, understanding giving Sammy attention in a way that helps to divert her attention from the pain that she feels. All of those things. It's an incredibly tender relationship with nothing antagonistic about it and nothing sinister underneath. And I really appreciated that quite a bit. And the movie kind of builds. It's quick. It's less than 90 minutes. And then I thought it was fine, it was fine, it was good, it was decent, I was liking it okay, and then bam, it has that moment that defines every even semi-memorable feel-good movie, where it all comes together, the growth happens to the characters, and suddenly you care about them more than you thought you did, and you find yourself crying your eyes out, and that's what happened to me. So I was affected by the storytelling very subtly, even though I wasn't engaging with it on a moment-to-moment -moment basis the way that I maybe have on other feel-good films. It's not like a Peanut Butter Falcon level of engagement to me. It's not on a Hearts Beat Loud level of engagement to me, or even something like The Map of Tiny Perfect Things from last year. This is a notch down from that, and that's fine. I think it's actually Kate Sings' feature film debut, if I'm not mistaken, which you know, there's room to grow here. And I think that there's a strong foundation from which to do that. So it's a very sweet and tender, endearing, cute movie. But I think that that's about as far as the praise can go. That being said, that's what it sets out to do. And it accomplishes that and does it very well. This is in theaters now, and it will be streaming on video on demand on April 29th. 
I would not recommend a theater viewing for Marvelous in the Black Hole. I don't know why it needs that personally. So unless you're the kind of person who just wants to support independent cinema and throw some bucks their way by speaking with your wallet, in that case, by all means, go do it. I just don't think that there's anything cinematic about this that would require a theater view or would be enhanced by a theater viewing. So for me, I'm saying it's definitely worth a rental at home and a great watch for some evening on the couch. I think it's a good movie and you'll feel better after watching it, which is always a good quality. Well, before I go, I want to let you know, in case you're unaware, that I have revitalized my previous video game related podcast called The Games We Love. Myself and three other hosts have come together. We'll be providing weekly episodes where we discuss what we've been playing, the latest in industry news. There'll also be some interviews dropping within that feed. One of those is up now for a game that's coming out this week, something that is very special and near and dear to my heart. So I'd love for you to give that podcast a listen if you're into games at all and subscribe, share it with your friends, all that good stuff as well. You can always find me on social media. The links are in the show notes to every episode and I love to chat. So let me know what you think of any of these films if you do get a chance to see them. Thanks for listening. I'll be back soon. But until then, keep watching and keep feeling filmed.